0: Hello and welcome to Wibbly Wobbly Chatty Watty, the ultimate Doctor Who rewatch podcast. I'm your host, Dean, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, my good co-host, and my good co-host, Andrea. Hello.
1: Did you really just say I'm a good co-host twice?
0: I couldn't think of a third compliment.
1: Oh, well, that backfired on me. Appallingly. How are you, Dean?
0: I'm good, thanks. How how's your life going?
1: It was going okay, and, until. This started to be honest. So,
0: well, anyway, I didn't. I, I wasn't really listening because I, I don't care. Every week we start with a sentence summary of the episode. Andrea, just just quick FYI, this is a business relationship. Okay, we we record this, get the money from it, and then move on. Anyway, what's your sentence summary of Series Two, Episode Seven, The idiot Lantern of Doctor Who, which we watched today? I probably should have said that.
1: Wait a second, you're making money from this.
0: No further questions.
1: Sheesh. My sentence summary is this. Mark Gatiss writes a second Doctor Who episode, and it's called The Idiot's Lantern.
0: That That was really informative.
1: Could you tell that I had only just written one?
0: Well, I could because you told me before we started recording.
1: Wow, you're basically telepathic.
0: Yeah, well, here's mine. Rose and the Doctor go to 1956 to watch Elvis Presley on The Ed Sullivan Show.
1: I don't feel like that really does encapsulate the story.
0: I only watched the first couple of minutes. I can not be bothered to sit through the rest.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. have you got some nice general information for us? A little birdie told me you might.
0: I'm glad you asked, because just to start us off, this episode was written by Mark Gatiss, who has written a grand total of nine episodes, this being his second. It was directed by Euros Lynn, who directed a grand total of nine episodes, that feels like that could be a trivia fact, and this was his fifth.
1: That is so neat. Why didn't you involve that in trivia?
0: Because my trivia is way better than you could ever imagine in your small pea-sized brain. Anyway, this episode was broadcast on the 27th of May, 2006. Now, do you know who Babe Ruth is? Have you heard that name?
1: I've heard the name, but not much more.
0: Yeah, that's literally why I wrote down this fact of what happened the day after this episode was broadcast. And that was Barry Bonds broke Babe Ruth's, that's a tongue twister, Barry Bonds broke Babe Ruth's record for number of home runs in American baseball, which still hasn't been broken.
1: Wow, how, how interesting.
0: He, he ran home so many times, he must have lived close.
1: Uh, ha, ha, ha. Now let's get on to the properly fun Element of this podcast. My first fun fact this we here obviously love our working titles, and for this episode, the working titles were Mr. Sandman, Sonic Doom, The One Eyed Monster, and Music of Doom. What do you make of those working titles, and what do you make of The Idiot's Lantern? Because it's a bit of an out there title as it is.
0: Yeah. It's kind. I kind of like The Idiot's Lantern, to be honest. Part of me likes it, the other part doesn't, but I still think it's better than the options you listed.
1: Yeah, none of them really work for me, and I'm not actually a massive fan of The Idiot's Lantern, although I like its meaning, so I suppose it's better than the other options. According to IMDB, this episode was written with the ninth doctor in mind originally, so can you envisage it with Christopher Eccleston?
0: Yes, I think so. It wouldn't have been massively different, I don't think.
1: Do you think it would have been better, worse?
0: Um, I would have quite liked to see Christopher Eccleston interact with um, Mr Connolly, and I would have quite liked to see his reaction to Rose losing her face. I feel like they could have been good moments for his character.
1: Although I would say that the ending at Alexandra Palace is maybe more suited to the 10th Doctor.
0: Perhaps.
1: Another fun fact for you, in the original script, Tommy was gay and fancied the Doctor.
0: You should be keeping track of how many gays have been taken out of scripts in Doctor Who.
1: There have been quite a few in the last few episodes. Yeah,
0: I feel like it's a common occurrence.
1: Do you think it would have added a layer to Tommy's character do you think it would have unnecessarily complicated the storyline if he fancied the doctor
0: I, I just I don't really know what it would have added but I'm sure it could have been executed well if it was written well
1: yeah I think I agree with you and also in the original script the chase scene at the end included a segment in the London underground which I personally think is a massive shame that that didn't happen
0: yes me too
1: fun fact number whatever it is the tv aerials were designed to look like nazi swastikas to echo the fact that the episode is set in post-war britain almost like the wires threat resembles that of a nazi threat
0: What say um non-nazi swastika
1: that was not the point i just wrote it out like that i, I i'd read well, you that think before phrase.
0: you write things down
1: I just wanted to specify. Anyway, the last fun fact of this very fun section is that the street party scene at the end was going to be set at night with a fireworks display, but this was considered too similar to the end of Fear Her, which obviously we see later in the series. Do you think it would have worked better in this episode than it does in Fear Her or vice versa?
0: Um, I'm not sure. I think these episodes are very similar, but that's a thing to talk about another day.
1: Hmm, nice observation.
0: Every week, Dean and Andrew like to share each other with some trivia questions. This week is my turn with the questions, and I have concocted a little theme for us. I have six questions overall. Two questions about this episode of Doctor Who. Two questions about the Queen's coronation. Then two episodes about the Doctor and the monarchy.
1: Crikey. Right, okay.
0: Okay, question number one about this episode is... What mistake can be spotted in this episode... Is it A, the entire episode? It's a, it's a joke. That isn't the actual way. A, a boom mic. B, a modern lamppost. C, a modern telephone box. Or D, someone in modern clothing.
1: Ooh, can you say the first one again, please?
0: It was a boom mic.
1: Crikey. I'm going to say, well, i said crikey quite a lot. But other than that, I think I'm going to go with, Whatever the second one was, it just gripped my attention. Yes! Is it by Magpie's shop, or...?
0: It was um, during the chase, when the grandma was being taken away.
1: Poor, poor grandma, but I'm happy to get the point.
0: Well, there you go. Margaret John, the actress of previously mentioned Grandma Connolly, appears in what other Doctor Who episode? Is it A, Fury from the Deep, B, The Claw of Axos, C, Colony in Space, or D, Terror of the Autons?
1: Well, I've only seen Terror of the Autons for all of them, but I don't recognise that actress enough to be able to say if she was even in that one. So I'm just going to, on a whim, say Fury from the Deep.
0: That episode was a second Doctor episode and it came out in 1968. So at the time, she was the actress with the, well, she was the actor with the biggest gap between two appearances in Doctor Who.
1: Nice. Well done, Grandma. She's not my grandma, but a grandma. In this episode, she is.
0: Okay. Here are two questions about the Doctor and various monarchs.
1: Monarchs. Okay.
0: How many real... British monarchs has the doctor met.
1: Wait, when you say real.
0: I mean, not counting like Liz 10.
1: Oh, you mean in the series. You don't mean, to say, Peter Capaldi met Queen Liz the other day. Okay. Oh, crikey. This is so hard. No options.
0: Oh, sorry. There are.
1: <laughs> oh, phew.
0: <laughs> Seven, nine, 11 or 13.
1: Obviously, there's Queen Victoria. There's Elizabeth I. There's whichever King James there was in that Jodie Whittaker episode, but I'm, without boring our listeners, I'm not going to get to list them all <laughs> in time. I'm going to go with the third answer, whichever one that was.
0: That was 11, which would be incorrect, I'm afraid. <clears throat> oh no! it was seven surprisingly low
1: oh I thought it would be down the higher end.
0: Yeah, I I may be missing one or two. I couldn't find an actual complete list. But after quite a bit of research, I discovered seven monarchs. And that's the first doctor met Richard the first. Obviously, Elizabeth the first was in the Shakespeare code and the day of the doctor. John the first met the sixth doctor. James the first met the 13th doctor. Charles the second met the 11th doctor in The Impossible Astronaut. Obviously, we saw Victoria. A few weeks ago, and finally Elizabeth II met the seventh Doctor.
1: But what you're saying is because you haven't been able to find that conclusive number, there could be say three, four more, and there I could, could be, be correct. But
0: I'm not sure if that there's that many more monarchs that exist. So I,
1: I think there might be. I think we should give me a hypothetical point. <laughs>
0: Which doctor is related to the fashion designer who made the Queen's coronation dress?
1: This is a great question and I have no idea.
0: Is it the first, second, third or fourth?
1: In my head, William Hartnell has a connection to someone who was famous like, through a cousin or something. So I'm going to go with Bill Boyd. Yes. Was it to do with a cousin?
0: His first cousin is Norman Hartnell, who was a British fashion designer who designed and made the coronation dress for the Queen. I thought that was a really cool connection.
1: That is incredibly cool.
0: Okay, now the two questions about the coronation itself, okay? This question has no options.
1: So oh, no. The, how well you
0: do. the Queen was coronated on June the 2nd, 1953. What day of the week was this?
1: There's probably some holy tradition thingy where they're only coronated on a certain day. And I can imagine... I mean, this is completely without any real knowledge to found it. But I can imagine it would have to be at the weekend for so many people to watch it and all of that, and it being the first properly televised one. So I'm going to say... Oh, I'm so torn between Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to go saturday
0: i mean there's no point um worrying about it that much because it's not on the weekend oh it was a tuesday
1: that's so random
0: yeah i'm sure everyone would have got the day off work and everything though like you do for um royal weddings and the like
1: that is true but in my head i had the royal weddings as being saturdays and i'm just a numpty who doesn't pay attention to royal occasions
0: Well, here's the second question about good old Norman Hartnell. How many times since the coronation has the Queen worn her coronation dress? Is it zero, two, four, or six times?
1: My gut before you read the options was zero times, so I'm gonna go with that.
0: It was six times
1: really she reuses her dresses that much
0: apparently the only two examples i saw that were listed was she wore them for the opening of the new zealand and australian parliament both times
1: but there you've only found two examples
0: yeah but it did say six
1: who did the man in your head
0: uh no this like cool website about the royal family
1: fair enough
0: It wasn't actually that cool. It was 50 facts about the coronation and most of them were so uninteresting. One of the questions I actually asked was what day of the week it was on.
1: That's true. That does shed unfortunate light on the entertaining nature of that website. It is that time of the Wibbly Wobbly Chatty Wattie podcast where one of the two co-hosts, his name, I'm told, is Dean. He You gives, have no proof. I don't, and it's terrifying. He gives us an insight into the episode that we are exploring. And of course, today it will be the idiot's Lantern, whatever the hell, bloody hell, that means.
0: Pretty much. Pretty boring episode if you ask Dean. Who's me? I'm Dean. Uh, The Doctor and Rose like, let's go watch Elvis Presley, whose hips are so sexy, they should be illegal. That's what Ed Sullivan thought anyway. So they arrive in New York and they're like, wait, this isn't New York because the Union Jack's everywhere, but it's not the Union Jack because it's only the Union Jack when it's flown at sea. It's actually the Union flag. So they're on their little moped and they're like, and they stop off at this street where somebody is getting getting thrown into a van and they're like, what's going on? And then this boy on the road who is a closeted gay boy is his name is tommy and he's a bit like i've taken everyone away including my grandma who was take who is in the who hasn't been taken away yet but she's in the upstairs room with no face and being a bit of a weirdo and he's like oh okay and he goes in and they've got a dad called eddie and he's all like well if you're under my roof then you've got to do what i say that's how he acts all the time and him and his wife aren't very happy because you can just hear grandma smashing upstairs. Smashing up.
1: She's just on a rampage, destroying everything.
0: Smashing on the walls. More like bashing, to be honest. If I had to use an onomatopoeia, I would probably call it a bash or a thump. It's a bit of a thump on the wall. It's more like a on the wall anyway where was i and the doctor said like, hey what's going upstairs?" also you put the flags up and he's like yes okay i'll put the flags up he starts putting the flags up and they're like well people tv we got a new tv and the, the tv uh blah 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 and then he's all like why am i putting these flags up on the wall <laughs> which was kind of his reaction in that moment And um, then the police arrive and like, hey, we're going to take away your faceless grandma, come with us. That's after the doctor's gone to see her. And um, she gets taken away. And the doctor chases after her and Rose stays there. And (laughs) this bit really made me laugh. I will talk about this later when Rose goes, only an idiot hangs the flag upside down and then just sprints out of this person's house going to the TV shop. She goes to the TV shop to investigate and there's a Mr Magpie there who's a bit weird and he's a bit like, well, you'll see. He reminds me of Peter Pettigrew from Harry Potter, which is a bit of a weird link. But then Rose gets her face eaten by TV that was talking to her and then she gets sent off to the police place, and the doctor's there, and he's all like, where's this lady's face gone? She's my friend, and now I'm going to have to get their faces back. Then he goes to the TV place with Tommy in tow on the day of the Queen's coronation, and the man's like, wow, the TVs will eat everyone's face, and then the doctor has a conversation with the TV, and the TVs are like, well, I'm going to have to go up her telephone a big, a big, um, what are they called?
1: And um- aerial I don't, I don't really know he has
0: to go up a big aerial thingy to get all the power to eat everyone and they go up and they start eating everyone and the doctor climbs up and then he's like getting shot by red lightning and um, yeah Then the doctor stops her and she disappears into a cassette into a little tape which the doctor says he's going to tape over and then um, Eddie Connolly gets kicked out of his house but then his um, closeted case son goes to talk to him and they have quite a sweet moment and then rose and the doctor are like well now you've got your face back we can do loads of kissing and that's how the episode ends
1: i don't remember that line but thank you for giving us it now anyway what do you make of the setting it's not remarkable but it's a different sort
0: it's it's interesting i think it's not too different which sounds dumb because it was 1953 but it's not like alien
1: that's a really observational thing there you're right 1953 england was not alien
0: it's like what the ninth doctor said in father's day time traveling is like going to a different country and 1953 is probably a bit like you know maybe like a canada i'd say compared to us quite similar
1: Mm, interesting quite
0: different in some ways you know
1: with moose.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of moose in this episode.
1: My favourite part is the moose.
0: My favourite part is the magpie, that's a joke. In this section of the podcast is normally where we take the time to go for our standout moments of the episode. And this week shall be no different. We will go through our good moments, our bad moments, and we will leave out the middling moments because we ain't dealing with that. Nuh-uh. My first moment is the cars taking people away. I think it's a bit, I don't know, I, I want to say over dramatic, but like it's something that should be dramatic, but it comes off as over dramatic because it isn't executed as well. I think the word I'm looking for is melodramatic.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think it also happens so quickly, which obviously fits what they're doing. Obviously, you wouldn't kidnap a faceless grandma slowly. But whilst it fits what they're doing, you kind of lose what's going on. Obviously, you don't really know what's going on at the time. And it's just so loud. There's a lot of shouting in this episode. That's something I don't know. And I'm not necessarily a fan of. Before we go on to your next standout moment, I just wanted to ask, what do you make of the Doctor and Rose and their 1950s Elvis look?
0: I I hate David Tennant's hair in this episode—just something about it, I found so unsettling. It just did not look good, and I—it was like the thing that I probably focused the most on in this episode. It was just his hair. It was just really, just I don't, I don't know what it was. I just didn't like it.
1: Yeah, it's not one of his best looks. There'll be some people who dispute that.
0: I don't think there will. I, is there that many people who would feel so passionately about? David Tennant with Elvis hair?
1: I think there are. I think if you scan Twitter, there are definitely some people who will care about that. And you have just alienated them. But I find it really interesting that they even have a different look to normal. I don't really know why certain episodes have them trying to fit the era and others don't. It's actually a trait of the Unquiet Dead mark Gatiss's first episode with rose being all dressed up for victorian cardiff so maybe it's something that's a preference for him as a scriptwriter.
0: the um, i was gonna say it's a bit like the empty child as well when rose is planning on going out and she's wearing something ridiculous i don't know that's just what it kind of made me think of But i feel like half the reason they dressed up in that episode was just for fun because that seems like what they were doing they were just doing it for fun
1: Yeah, and I do quite like their fun vibe that they carry at the beginning of this episode. And the costume and everything kind of aids that. I think it's really interesting that you've just mentioned the empty child, because one of the things that I've read on IMDb is how it's really funny that Rose illustrates an understanding of the difference between the Union flag and the Union Jack. And yet she refers to her top as being the Union Jack when it's the Union flag, because obviously she's not a sea, she's in the air hanging from a barrel. yeah i was about to say maybe if
0: she's hanging from a blimp it counts as a union jack as well i'm not sure maybe that's a rule
1: maybe it is maybe it is now it is now
0: yeah i just decided it i'll um email the queen and let her know okay
1: i think that's liz at gmail.com
0: thanks don't tell everyone i'm gonna have to beep that we don't want all the non-British people emailing her. They can't know that we have regular correspondence with our Royal Highness.
1: I'm sure the entire Commonwealth does.
0: That's true, that's true. Okay, my next standout moment is kind of the whole scene when the Doctor and Rose first meet the Connellys. I'm not a fan of this scene for reasons I think I'll go into in characters. There's just weird moments of it, but I do quite like when they first go and meet the... Um, grandma Connolly, I quite like that moment, but overall this scene just doesn't do it for me.
1: That's really interesting because although I think we share the overall opinion of this episode, I actually really like this scene. It's one of my only standouty momenty scenes, probably because I hate Mr. Connolly so much that I enjoy seeing the Doctor and Rose have power over him and i do think it's quite funny i think that one of the standout elements of this episode for me is the fact that we finally see this more independent and confident rose almost as if she's a different more humany rosy version of the doctor and that's very much continued in the impossible planet the satan pit and so i really like her character in this and i like how she and the doctor Completely change the power setup in this household from just being in it for five minutes, and I just really like their dynamic in this scene. So I'm I'm here for it. But I'd be interested to hear why you hate it so much.
0: I just really don't think Mr. Connolly is performed or written. I'm not sure which. Well, I don't think he works very well as a character I get what they're going for but it's either over the top or just like a bit too blunt you can't yeah I don't think it works as presenting a character like that especially when they kind of tease the idea I'm getting into characters okay I'm going to forget about that no but the one thing i would complain about in this scene is they get him to hang the flags that's fine and then just suddenly there's a moment when he's hanging the flags and he turns around i mentioned this in my plot summary he's holding the flags and he just looks at the flags and he goes wait why am i hanging these in my house it's like the doctor has hypnotized him or something and then suddenly he steps out of it it just really didn't work for me when he's suddenly like what am i doing it's just a bit of a weird moment for me
1: yeah that is an odd detail that always kind of jars with me but I do like how it allows for the doctor's line and I'm not listening because you really want him to completely get Eddie Connolly to shut up because I agree I don't think I don't know which element it is the acting or the writing but I don't think his character really works but that doesn't prevent me from disliking him and I think the fact that I like Rita and I want those characters, I therefore want those characters to be liberated from the oppressive influence that he carries in their household and I also like the element of the Doctor and Rose clearly understanding that something is up with Rita and the Doctor being so aggressive and then turning into such a tender and sympathetic character when he turns to Rita the way he really does not have time for such a misogynistic aggressive man
0: yeah yeah okay um the other thing i would just mention which is a little bit later which i also said in my plot summary is when road goes only an idiot hangs the flag outside down and then she puts on the weirdest smile ever and then she just sprints out of the room (laughs) and i just imagine when does she stop sprint does she just sprint out of the room and then sprint down the road it was it was such a weird moment for me and i just really stood out i've just did she think she looked cool in this moment because she kind of just i think i don't know what it is the comment is fine the smile was weird and then the run was weirder just sprinting out of the room like that. That's just not what someone does. Like You just make a joke and you're like, quick, before he can reply, I need to get out of here.
1: I completely understand where you're coming from there. You're really making me laugh. It is odd. It's not authentic or realist in any way. And I think that's maybe why it jars with you because I think of all the companions, Rose is arguably meant to be the most authentic of them all. But I still find it funny, maybe because it's so abnormal. But I just there's something kind of indulgently funny and charming about the characterization of the Doctor and Rose from going hi on their doorstep to Rose legging it out there, and I really want to carry that image of her just <laughs> carrying on running. Sprinting down that street, loads of people turning their heads, not wondering, not I, knowing what's going on.
0: I like the idea of her getting around the corner and then stopping and just checking. Oh, good, no one's watching, and then just kind of composing herself, then just briskly walking.
1: This is the scene that we were denied.
0: <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't very good. Talking about scenes that jarred with me. Um, my next stand-up moment is when Rose gets her face eaten. I quite like her. Um, conversation with Magpie but it's just so much with The Wire doesn't work because of the weird I think it it's partially the delivery but it's also just the bluntness of all the lines we get of her just going hungry, hungry in just a shrill off-putting voice, I just don't know why that was the choice they went for with her
1: Yeah, and my parents watching it they think of Maureen Lippmann as a very accomplished, good actor. And they don't understand why they made her character so two-dimensional, so unimaginative. And I think that for me is mostly where this episode falls short. There never really feels like there's a proper interesting threat or an interesting villain, really. And though i like elements where she's talking more normally and all the are you sitting comfortably good well let's begin that stuff i quite enjoy because it's got sinister undertones whereas the feed me's and the hungries and all that us, she just rambles on about being fed and i just don't it appreciate it too exactly and i'm not really keen on magpie either to be honest. I think they exaggerate his weariness and how exploited he has been by the wire and what I found quite interesting is that he was originally meant to be a more evil, evil vicious yeah. character but Russell Lucy Davis suggested that he be toned down and so we just kind of end up with this rather pitiful human slave and that scene where Rose goes to confront him. Again, I really like her independence. I like how she commands the room, much like the Doctor, and she wants the answers and she's not listening to him when he tells her to go. But when it gets to the actual wire bit, I lose interest. I actually find it kind of boring. And I know there'll be some people out there who disagree. There always will be. But the wire element of this episode, and I'm not a massive fan of the Connolly family side of it either because of how detestable and not necessarily well acted, written, whatever directed Eddie is. But I still prefer that to the wire side of the story because it's just there. It's a bit meh. And I want to know what you think of the wire's look as in when she takes those people's faces like Rose in this scene. What do you make of that? Because I don't like it.
0: I think it's a good concept, just the effect isn't done very well of the face removing. I think that could have looked pretty cool and sinister. It just doesn't it it does look like someone's gotten the blur tool on Photoshop and just gone over her face because there's still <laughs> if if you if you want to get that effect and obviously this is speaking from someone who knows nothing about special effects in this kind of thing. I know near to nothing. But if you're gonna make that you're gonna want to some texture on the skin still instead of just a, a slab Of the same skin colour, you want to see like some texture on the skin so it actually looks like skin where their face should be.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I also don't like how you hear them screaming because, whilst you know, understandably they're screaming and it adds an element of humanity and horror to it, it creates a sense of panic that then is really juxtaposed by the stillness of their bodies, their sort of hunched bodies looking towards the TV screen. And this contrast between stillness and panic just doesn't really have any impact. And if you think about it, if you think about the werewolf and Tooth and Claw, the threat this werewolf poses is that he can chase after people and eat them and all that stuff. And that creates sort of a fast-paced, energetic danger in the episode whereas the thing the wire does is very stagnant and it's very static and still not much happens yes it's taking someone's face but to look at that's not much and so i think that does add to this episode's slow pace and generally it's feeling of not much happening
0: yeah it is very weird and i agree with Oh, that towards just said. Another scene that doesn't really work with me. Actually, I'll give a disclaimer for this first quickly, because I feel like there's there's a, um, there's a risk when you're talking about political commentary and stuff like Doctor Who, that if I said I didn't like it, everyone's just going to think that I disagree with it and or whatever, which, which isn't true. I just think it isn't done well in this episode. And the line I look at specifically is on the doorstep when Tommy goes, you don't get it, do you? You fought against fascism, remember? And then he goes on about that, and I think it was just so blunt. and So so. I want to say it was so blunt and on the nose, and you can have political commentary done like that well. I think there's some of it in Doctor Dances, but it's so blunt and not very well written, this line, that it doesn't really work for me, and it just kind of juts out, like, what is Tommy talking about here? It just didn't really work for me.
1: That's interesting. I don't really know where I stand on it because, as you say, Doctor Who can have political messages and it can really pay off. And there's nothing necessarily wrong about promoting those sort of more liberal messages. But at the same time, I'm thinking in recent years, not necessarily politically, but with their messages on the environment, completely justified messages. To promote that we're destroying this planet, that we need to act now, I completely agree. But when you just shoehorn a whole speech about it into the episode, it takes you out of Doctor Who itself and it becomes like a preachy lecture that you don't watch Doctor Who for. So I guess what you're trying to say is that it's so not subtle that it takes you out of Doctor Who and doesn't add to the episode itself in making this political message about defeating fascism. I think Tommy has a point. And I think that if Eddie was a better done character, this line could have really good impact. I still like the way that he stands up to his dad. And I like the character of Tommy. I like how he's vulnerable, but more intellectual than his father. And the fact that Eddie, although on a very exaggerated scale, maybe presents many men at that time who felt they'd fought through the war and were sort of aggressively patriotic as a result. And so it's not a bad political message. And I think that I still enjoy seeing Tommy defy his father. But as we'll get on to later, I think this moment is completely undone by Tommy following, chasing after his dad at the end.
0: Yeah, it's not. If It can even work, I think, if it's on the nose, like writing like this. It can work if it's written well. I think there is some very obvious stuff that works quite well in the doctor dances, as I just said. But it's just when it's so on the nose and just when it's not awkward, because if it's written quite elegantly, it can work well if being so on the nose. But in this, it just feels so blunt and awkward. It doesn't really work.
1: This moment kind of comes out of nowhere because... The doctor comes to take Tommy, and it kind of gets in the way of that action, that movement. In a way, it sort of creates a stop-starty rhythm. Of the doctor rushes to be with Tommy. There's another altercation on the doorstep. Then they run again. Then they go and plug loads of things, and it's all still. Then they. It's a bit of a stop-starty nature as a consequence. I want to know what you think of the interrogation scene that we get I think just before that with the Doctor and this man with a hat that doesn't have a hat all the time but it's a nice hat and I like that hat
0: I think it's just pretty uninteresting again I, I kind of switched off at this point I think it was around then that it just felt a bit stale to me and there's parts that work like when the Doctor sees Rose but apart from that it doesn't really work for me
1: yeah I don't think i can't even remember his character name but i don't think the police detective guy inspector thank you really works he's a very wooden two-dimensional character i do like how the doctor opens that scene being so confidently stupid if that makes sense you know he don't he deliberately doesn't answer the inspector's questions and then he come off the room very quickly in quite an unrealistic and yet completely doctor who way i think i really like the moment when rose comes in and she's lost her face and it's all very tragic works yeah. at first <laughs> sorry that sounded like i really don't care god dare it! get over we've all lost face. our
0: faces before rose
1: Shout out, Rose. No, I'm joking. I love Rose. And it is a pretty bad thing to have your face be taken from you by a maniacal lady on a TV. Arguably. Only arguably. There would be people to debate that. (laughs) But the moment when she comes in and the Doctor realises what has happened to her is effective at first. There's a stillness about it that whilst other static moments in this episode haven't paid off because they've just been boring, you kind of in this moment get absorbed in the emotion and really start thinking about how the doctor feels and I think David Tennant plays it very well in how he just stares at her and you can't really hear what's being said behind him close up on him and he says they want they left her in the street and it's just very dramatic but well done but then I feel it's kind of undone again because then he gets this really heroic aggressive line where he's like because now nothing on earth can stop me Blah, blah blah I can't remember the line but he becomes so aggressive and I think that when we've seen his previous performances as the Doctor we've never really seen his anger on one level like this and it's not a criticism of David Tennant God knows I love David Tennant but I feel like in the rest of the episode, he just carries this aggressiveness that almost distracts from the content, and I think a quieter rage would have been more effective, a bit more of that anger that he portrays in the line, they left her on the street etc i think if he carried that instead if the dialogue hadn't demanded him to be all shouty as i said a lot of shouting in this episode i think it would have been better and arguably more like the doctor He doesn't really shout a lot
0: i think he does have some overly aggressive moments in this episode in general so I, I would have to agree. My final standout moment is the climax of the episode of Magpie's really weird death and the the slow climbing of the antenna or whatever you would call it. I think there are parts of this that work. I like the whole King of Belgium bit. Um, but it's just <laughs> weird moments of how long it takes for him to climb up there and just yeah, I don't think it works as a climax overall. Like I don't think the solution the problem is bad it's just kind of how they get there
1: yeah that scene is kind of all on one level for me the resolution in itself I like the king of Belgium moment too why that man would just immediately assume ah that's the king of Belgium running towards me because the doctor doesn't decide for that to be his identity I think that's quite a quirky funny detail there but it doesn't really intrigue me as an ending, there's a lot of repeat shots of houses, of the Doctor on the antennae thing. kind of channels Logopolis, if I'm saying that right, I don't know, a bit, which I think will please classic Who fans, or maybe it won't, I don't know. But I also think the demise of Magpie is a bit underwhelming. You expect there to be a more dramatic ending. Yeah, and why doesn't she do that to the doctor i know he says it's because of rubber shoes but like come on why I, and that line itself rubber soles, swear by them it's just kind of random and almost a caricature of the funny or aggressive elements of the doctor we get a lot of those heightened uh emotions in a way when he's at his funniest it's very exaggerated funny as is roses and and when he's aggressive it's like my god he's gonna kill someone like that bit when he hits the bell in magpie's shop and he's like magpie answer me i'm like that poor bell what did that poor little bell do to you David Tennant?" but yeah not really much to say on that last scene i think it's actually one of the weakest resolutions we've seen just because it's unremarkable
0: i do quite like the idea of putting her on the tape but there's not enough build-up to it and I don't think they really execute that bit well.
1: I like that tape detail too and how the Doctor gives this really scientific explanation of how he's going to deal with the wire and he just admits that it means he's going to tape over her. If she even is to her, she's just like an electric thing, really. Who knows? But what I don't like is that it never really leads up to anything. As soon as they start running towards the palace, it's all on the same sort of level of tension.
0: No, it's not because he goes goes up the antenna. Uh,
1: Thank you for that. I didn't spot that. Maybe I fell asleep. But I also think that this ending with the wire on the tape has been done better in other episodes. It's a bit like the Shakespeare code in the next series when they end up in this crystal ball the carrionites and that's quite a pitiful amusing ending to one of the doctor's enemies but yeah i think it would work better if if that specific tape ending would have been put in a more interesting resolution on the whole
0: definitely At this point of the podcast, Andrew and I go through the characters in order of importance. And that, of course, means that the character that goes first is Doctor Who. That's his name. I don't particularly like a lot of the stuff they do with his character in this episode. Number one being his hair. That's by far the biggest problem I have with his character in the episode. But it's like what we've already talked about. I think a lot of moments are a bit too caricaturesque. I think there's a lot of anger that seems over the top here, uh, like we talked about when he finds Rose, and also I think when he's shouting at Mr. Connolly. I I think his anger's founded, but it's just a little too shouty-shouty for me. But apart from that, I think it's fine, not much interesting, just bad moments with not a lot of good.
1: I would completely echo what you said, although I'm not sure I feel quite as strongly about his hair as you do, quite clearly. The aggressiveness he shows at what they've done to Rose is, as you said, justified, but I feel like it would have been better to hold off on his aggressiveness in this episode because it's almost like they use that emotion of his to accentuate how much closer they are as Doctor and companion now, and to try and get us used to the fact that there is a great intensity in their relationship that will eventually pay off in Army of Ghosts slash Doomsday. But I think they should have just waited an episode or two, because the impossible planet slash the Satan pit offers a much more intense story in itself, and therefore the developing of their relationship and how much they mean to one another falls more naturally into that storyline, the fact that Rose and the Doctor are separated, the fact that they think they might have to live on a planet together without the TARDIS. Everything about that two-parter suits the purpose of emphasising how these two characters are close. And I feel like the Doctor's grief and anger in this episode is meant to do that, but it doesn't pay off because you're busy going, why is the Doctor so Bloomin' angry Dial it down and just wait for the course of the next two episodes to show and demonstrate by itself how close the Doctor and Rose really are. It's no criticism of David Tennant, just want to make that as clear as possible in case he ever does stumble across this by accident and turns it off within 30 seconds and just happens to hear me say something rude about him in this episode
0: hey Dave Tennant if you're listening I like you more than Andrea does before she can contest we shall move on to our next character who is Mr Finch sorry it's not Mr Finch it's Rose and uh, Rose is all right in this episode we've already said it I don't have anything else she's got some good moments of independence apart from that fine nothing interesting done
1: I'm going to be as concise as you which will be incredibly hard and I've already really failed at it Rose is a highlight for me in this episode. She's strong, she's independent. We see more of that in the next two-parter as well. I feel like she's more like the companion that she should have always been. But yeah, still a few weird moments, like the goofy smile and the sprint down the street.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would now like to talk about Eddie Connolly. And I've, I've basically said it, I really don't like the way this character is executed and i don't mean actually executed because that doesn't happen might have been quite interesting to watch but it just doesn't work he's so much of a cartoon that a lot of the misogyny and the shouting doesn't work because the entire time he just is like i'm speaking like this it just doesn't work weirdly accurate and i think a a big problem I have with this character is that they kind of tease this idea that he fought in the war and how he's so much better than everyone because he fought in the war. But then they don't go into the concept that all these problems can just be PTSD from fighting in such a horrible conflict. And I felt sorry for him in some parts because because like you know that he fought in World War II and clearly he's having problems with that. But it's just never explored and I feel like that's an issue they have with this character.
1: Interesting. Eddie, for me, is actually more of a villain than I think The Wire lives up to be. His aggression is on the same level in a similar way to the Doctor's angst through the remainder of the episode too. Just a lot of heightened emotions for all these characters. There seems to be no in-between subtle emotional stuff going on. Although I would say that maybe Rita offers a more tender, quiet approach to illustrating her feelings. And for that, I want to give a Rita Rita shout out, I was going to say. That's a new thing. I want to give Rita a shout out in case we don't talk about her in more depth. But Eddie, don't like him. Don't like how he scrunches up his face all the time and spits all over the place. And I don't know if the actor does that on a daily basis or if that's a characteristic of the character. I said characteristic of the character, which is a bad thing to say, but I don't know if that's just the character or the actor, really. And I don't know if it's the actor or the writing that doesn't work. But yeah, and even the fact that he fought in war doesn't really give me much sympathy because he's presented in a way that it almost suggests that he exploits the fact in itself that he fought in the war. He exploits the power and honour that that has given him in his daily life to be able to lay into his son and wife. And all these concepts, as you said, are not explored in further depth, so he remains a two-dimensional, aggressive pig.
0: Yeah, he is the worst part of this episode for me, and that's why I just... Put his name in as a nomination for the wobbly one-off character award, but but that'll be in a well
1: month done.
0: I'll be in a month or two. Okay, I don't have much to say about Tommy. I didn't really appreciate his character ever because he just felt to me like every one-off character that will appear in a Doctor Who episode. He just feels like all of them combined because he doesn't, he doesn't really do anything interesting. He kind of sticks up. For himself at one point which i do enjoy that's the one bit i like but apart from that it's just nothing interesting and at the end the doctor's like wow you're so smart tommy you basically just saved the world he literally did nothing like that was all the doctor he kind of just stood in a room and was just like wow that's pretty cool and then and then when the doctor comes <laughs> in he's, he's like oh what what happened because i've got no idea just because i've been standing in this room this entire time and and a big another problem i have is there's not as much fascination with the doctor's world or where he comes from or the TARDIS or stuff like that that you'd normally expect to see. And it just feels a bit weird that his character's like, yeah, fair enough, I'll help you out. Just what, what do you want to do? What do you want me to do? And just doesn't really be like, hey, how come you've got a moped from the future? There's no moment like that in this episode either, which sticks out to me.
1: Hmm, All very good points. I like how this episode encourages us to see Tommy's intellect rather than his masculinity as almost a more important characteristic. The fact that he doesn't have to be like his father, like the men that fought in the war, that he can help and be brave and be braver and more intelligent and thoughtful than his dad without being so macho. I like that and the sort of statement that it promotes. But he kind of just blends into this episode like everything else does eventually. Not a bad acting job by whoever plays Tommy. Sorry, don't know his name. But as you said, he's basically like any other character we get, just a little less remarkable. That's the verdict for this episode, basically. A little unremarkable
0: fair enough I don't really want to talk about any other characters do you
1: no let's just accept that the wire is not great and magpie is not either
0: no it's just the wire there's just I would have liked I w- I like the concept of her character but it's never explored about where she comes from or exactly what she's doing it's just kind of all a bit vague which in this episode doesn't work as well as it would in better episodes
1: yeah, and the fact that she's on trial or running away from her own planet or whatever, I can't even remember the specific details, which which proves your point. But those traits that they kind of hint at are seen in a much better way with the Plasmavor in Smith and Jones. And yeah, I just don't really like The Wire. I think the fact that the villain itself is contained to the television set or the little portable thing that magpie wears around his neck kind of limits its capabilities as a villain despite the tv concept being a good one
0: yeah it could have kind of worked better in the modern day i think with just it jumping between phones and stuff like that she kind of did land 50 years too early or 60 years too early because if she landed later she would have had a field day like no chance the doctor would have stopped her This part of the podcast is where screenwriter Andrea, best screenwriter in the world, according to her resume, I read it, it, it's uh, dozens of pages long, and it goes into far too much detail about her juggling skills, but mostly her writing skills are a bit overstated, and she specifically says, here's a quote, I've got it in front of me here, she says, I am better than... Russell T. Davis, and I'm going to rewrite every Doctor episode, starting with The Idiot's Lantern, in the sixth section of the Wibbly Wobbly Chatty Watty podcast, series two, episode seven. So I think you should just do what your resume promises for once.
1: That was a lot of words. I'm not completely sure any of it was true. My first improvement is that when the wire attacks people, we should just remove the screams or improve as you said the blurriness I think it could be improved with the technology we have now but as I said the juxtaposition of the panic versus the stillness of their bodies has little impact but to be honest I just know that I don't like it but can't really pinpoint one particular element of the look another improvement why is the doctor so clueless about which coronation it is at the beginning It's a really big character inconsistency in my mind, and though you could argue it's funny, I think he should have just known which coronation it is straight away after Magpie says, for the coronation, where you've been living, all that stuff. I think the Doctor should have, from that moment, been presented as the knowledgeable man that he is seen to be.
0: They should have maybe just gotten. They should have maybe gotten Rose to ask that question.
1: Yeah, and she seems to know a lot more about it which I guess makes her all the more for want of a better word as always relatable because she's wired up (laughs) wired up get the pun on human history in a way that the doctor with loads of planets to know about is not but if Rose knows about it the doctor should and it just didn't work for me His reaction, as we've said, to Rose's face being, well, gone, is OTT and the aggressiveness that he carries afterwards is just a bit too much. Just please dial it down. The scene at the palace, Alexandra Palace, is all on one level. I think that maybe there should have been more tension when the plan didn't work, maybe created by a rising score or just stop repeating the same wide shots that we see so often. And again, use those elements of film form which create tension, the music, sharper editing perhaps to emphasise the build-up to Tommy putting the plug in. Because it's meant to be that he saved the day, that the plan didn't work and everything was jeopardised and then don't worry, Tommy saw that there was a plug, not in the wall or wherever and that should have been a more important moment than it really was Tommy going to his dad at the end is potentially my least favorite detail of this entire episode actually because it feels like a really unsatisfying ending for the spectator even if it is consistent that Rose would encourage him to make up with his dad considering she you know missed out on all that time with Pete Tyler. But Rita and Tommy finally rebel against the oppressive influence of Eddie that has been consuming their lives, restricting them for so long. And then all is forgiven at the end and it undermines Tommy's stand up moment, not stand out moment as I was going to say. And I just kind of feel that consequently their journey as a family doesn't work because of the way it ends and then just two criticisms because i couldn't really find ways to improve them it's too slow and static throughout and feed me is said all the goddamn time please stop just have a sandwich lady
0: all good improvements i have a couple of my own if you would allow me to partake in sharing them
1: you Um, may partake
0: we we've mentioned most of the ones i've written down so in fact i only have three and that is when Rose is in Magpie's shop. She is so shocked that this TV is speaking to her when she comes from the future, and in her world, this technology exists of people being able to talk to you on the other side of a screen. And She's just so scared by it. She's she's terrified. She's like, "How can a TV know to speak?" It's like a bit over the top. And the, my next one is, um, no one hears the argument on the doorstep outside the Connollys' house when they're. Uh, shouting about that and they're having the coronation i think it's a bit of a weird moment the door wide open and then they literally walk into the room that's right next door and they're like oh so what was that about and then they're like oh nothing and also just the inspector character as a whole i think is particularly useless
1: all valid points thank you for your contribution
0: We like to rate every episode at the end of our conversation about it and we use the same very simple rating system every week and that is we rate it on a scale of 1 to 13, 1 being the worst, 13 being the best and we have chosen these two numbers because normally you go 1 to 10. Dean, may I ask, why haven't you gone 1 to 10? Well, dear listener, let me answer your question with another question. We've gone 1 to 13 because there were 13 doctors, question mark. This is no way indicative that the first doctor is the worst or the 13th doctor is the best. Uh, And we can give one decimal place as a rating. That's, you guessed it, an 8.5, a.k.a. a War Doctor. And now I hear you asking, Dean, please give us another a.k.a. I would love to hear it. And my other a.k.a. for you would be a.k.a. a John Hurt. I feel like I'm going into a bit of a weird tangent here. So I'm going to go over to Andrea to tell us her rating of this episode.
1: I'm toying between two ratings. (laughs) Me too. Do you want to go first?
0: No, I'm, I want to hear yours to decide which. Oh
1: no, for. that's no, because you see, I gave the end of the world a six, and the long game a five, and you know what? I'm going. No, I still haven't made up my mind because <laughs> you. I am forcing you to go first. I go first all the time. Okay, I want to hear what you so- have to say.
0: Before looking at the scores I've given previous episodes, I was my plan was to go, I will give this episode one more point than I gave for the long game, and I gave for the long game a three. So I want to give it a four, but I don't, so I'm going to go for a five.
1: Very interesting. I think I'm also going to go for a five. I'd written down a six, but I actually think that there's more interesting things going on in the end of the world. If not just for the inclusion of britney spears
0: i think the end of the world has good ideas that don't really pay off well like there's good moments and jabe works well and stuff like that but i don't think this episode has as many redeeming qualities or concepts as that
1: yeah i added points for rose's strong character the house cool scene despite you having issues with it the doctor's interrogation capabilities he's quite the smart alec there which i enjoy and then i gave two points for just queen elizabeth ii because of course it does revolve around her coronation and i'm glad that she became queen
0: i'm glad that you didn't become queen because then you wouldn't have had time to do this podcast with me and on that note We shall end it this week. (laughs) Um, Thank you for listening. Join us next week when we start the first part of a two-parter, and that is the impossible planet. Uh, It won't be impossible to talk about. That's the best joke I could come up with. Okay, yeah, we'll see you then.
1: Wow, the joke was just horrific, but your comment was heartwarming, so thank you for that. You can follow us on Instagram at ChattyWattyPod. You can email us at ChattyWattyPod at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you agree with us or do you think we have been harsh? If so, you're wrong. You can follow us on Anchor FM as well at ChattyWatty. And thank you for listening as always and see you next week. Bye. Bye.